Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast, Season 3, Episode 14, and we've got a big, big episode for you today. The MLB season in full swing. There's a new first place team in the NL West. I also have some analysis on what the Cleveland baseball team, the soon-to-be Cleveland Guardians, have been doing, and I also have a prediction on how their outlook is going to be next year, as well as just an update on all the playoff races in Major League Baseball. We've also got some NBA news. The Cavs acquiring all these big men. They just traded away one of the hometown players that we all loved, but they got a pretty big star back from the Chicago Bulls. I'll break down that trade and more from the NBA. The NFL, the last preseason games concluded. I'll talk about what I saw, what I think of the roster moves some of these NFL teams have made, including the New England Patriots parting ways with Cam Newton and going with a rookie quarterback. For the first time under Bill Belichick. And then part two, we got an extensive college football preview. College football week one starts tonight on Thursday. Ohio State plays Minnesota. That's the game I'm going to be focusing on today. But I'll give you my Heisman winner, my college football playoff picks. I'll predict every conference champion in college football. As well as preview some of the week one games, including Kent State's game. Versus Texas A&M. So we got a loaded show for you today. But before we get to all of that, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast is at Anchor. So if you if you want to make your very own podcast, you know what you need to do. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started with your very own podcast today. Today is Thursday, September 2nd. Happy September, everybody. Let's go. What is going on, sports fans? It's your man, Jack Bernie, and we are back with Season 3, Episode 14, I believe. I think I said it earlier. 13? 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast, Thursday, September 2nd, and we are getting to that time of the year. That time of the year where all the sports collide. We're a week away from NFL football. College football starts this week. The MLB playoff race is heating up. The NBA is getting ready to ramp up again. It's the best sports time of the year. And so we're going to start with the MLB. It's the most. It's still the most in-season sport. I'm itching for it to be football season, but I always love baseball, especially when the Cleveland soon-to-be Guardians are in the playoff picture. They are kind of out of the playoff picture right now, but they are playing good baseball. Um, I always thought... The Guardians, Indians, whatever you want to call them. They're still the Indians for this year. They're going to be the Guardians next year. I always thought this season, when fully healthy, they'd be a fringe playoff team, finish around 500. Now that Tito Francona, our great, great Hall of Fame manager, step stepped aside the, for the rest of the season due to his health. Now that Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali have missed the majority of the season. We don't have a full... Fully healthy starting rotation. We've had some guys like Franmil Reyes. Some big hitters miss some time as well. I think this Cleveland team will finish over 500, maybe two or three games over 500. And they, the the thing that will be good for them is they're going to, this September, be they're still technically in a playoff race. They're only seven and a half games back of the wild card, which would be, I think Boston holds the second wild card spot right now. But... The good thing for Cleveland this September, they can start putting all their eggs in next year's basket. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Tristan McKenzie almost throw a a perfect game. Then the start after that, go seven innings, give up one run. We've seen Cal Quantrill dominate the Angels and Shohei Otani 
on Sunday Night Baseball and solidify himself as a starter in this rotation. We saw Zach Plezak just the other night go seven innings, give up no runs, and beat the Kansas City Royals. And he looks like he is turning the corner and rounding into that pitcher that we always thought he would be last year. And that's just talking about the pitching. You look at the, the bullpen. James Karinchak got sent down to tri- uh, to AAA because he hasn't been good since the sticky stuff got banned. But you look at Emmanuel Clase, 1.44 ERA, 20 scoreless innings in a row. He throws 101, 101 miles per hour. He's got a 100-mile-per-hour cutter. He has a 1.44 ERA. He's been locked in, and he's only 23 years old. That's a dominant back-end bullpen closer for Cleveland. You look at the lineup. Jose Ramirez, 30 home runs. He's going to be a 30-30 guy this season, 30 stolen bases. You look at Franmil Reyes. If he stayed healthy, I think he would hit 40 home runs this year. You look at Miles Straw in the outfield, the center fielder they acquired from the Houston Astros. He's getting two hits a night and making spectacular plays out in the field. There's a lot to be excited about. Oh, not even to mention Mr. August, Ahmed Rosario. Five for five the other night with an inside the park home run, a home run, two singles, and a double. First Cleveland First player in Major League Baseball since 1920 with five hits, an inside-the-park home run, and an over-the-fence home run. This Cleveland Guardians team next season with a starting rotation that's fully healthy of Shane Bieber, Zach Plezak, Aaron Savali, Tristan McKenzie, and Cal Quantrill. Maybe some tweaks in the lineup. Get some of those younger guys like a Tyler Freeman, like a Nolan Jones. Get them some consistent playing time at the end of this year so they can develop for next year. The Cleveland Guardians will be a playoff team next season. I've seen what I like from our fourth and fifth starters. I've seen flashes from this lineup. And I've got to watch the AA team in Akron all year. They're in first place in the AA Northeast League for a reason. The talent flowing through the Cleveland minor league system is outstanding and when it gets to the major league level it will produce it'll take some time to produce but that's why I think this is a good opportunity for DeMarlo Hale for the Indians front office to get those young guys up in September allow them to play September baseball when the rosters expand to a 40-man roster and it will be a great opportunity to see what the Cleveland has for next year and for the years beyond it's going it's bright future for Cleveland baseball. Uh, elsewhere in the major leagues, the, the Yankees have been the ho- one of the hottest teams in baseball. But they were on a 13 or 12 game winning streak. It, it's been recently snapped. They're still 77 and 56. Last time we talked, I think they were only like 5 games above 500. They're 7 games back of the Rays, but they are 2 games up on the Red Sox in the wild card race. They have the first wild card spot in the American League. The Tampa Bay Rays have the best record in the American League. They're 84 and 49. They're 9-1 in their last 10 games. They are outstanding both home and away. And they're, they should be the, considered the favorites in the American League, in my opinion. Then you got the Red Sox. They hold the second wildcard spot. They're 76-59. and 59. They're two games back of the Yankees for that first wildcard spot. Nine games back of Tampa Bay in the American League East. The good news for the Red Sox is I like their chances in a one-game wildcard playoff because Chris Sale... Chris Sale has come back from the injured list, and Chris Sale is that Cy Young player, that player that helped pitch them to a 2018 World Series title. Chris Sale is still that same pitcher. I know he hasn't played in a long time because of injury, but he is still that same pitcher. And if they go up to Yankee Stadium against Garrett Cole, I still give them a pretty good shot because Chris Sale's left arm is who's going to be trying to deliver them to the next round. Then you got the young upstart Blue Jays. They're four and a half games back of Boston for that second wildcard spot. They're 70 and 62. I think Toronto's peaked a little bit too early this season. I think next year is the year you should circle Toronto as a potential World Series sleeper, also playoff contender. In the Central, the White Sox have a 10-game lead on the Indians and a 15-game lead on the Tigers. Everybody else is kind of out of it. 
The Indians are the only other team in that division above 500. The White Sox are 78 and 56. They've won three in a row. Uh, they're way better on at home than they are away. I've noticed that. Um, like I said, the Indians seven and a half games back of Boston for the second wild card spot. In the American League West, there are three good teams. Uh, the Astros are 78 and 55. The they're in first place. They're five games up on the Athletics, six and a half on the Mariners, and then you got the A's and the Mariners who are both playing good baseball. The A's are thirteen games above five hundred at seventy three and sixty. The Mariners are ten games above five hundred at seventy two and sixty two. You look at the A's; they're only two games back of Boston. They they have a little bit of a favorable favorable schedule coming up. They face Detroit this weekend, and same with Seattle; they're three and a half games back of Boston. They have a weekend series with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So that's what the playoff picture is looking like around the American League. Right now, there would be three teams from the East in the playoffs, and it would be the White Sox and the Astros from the Central and the West. In the National League East, a lot has changed in the since the last time we talked. The NL East leaders are now the team that I thought probably would win the division in the offseason, the team that was within a game of the World Series last season. The Atlanta Braves behind stellar pitching, great performances from their offense like Freddie Freeman. They have come alive. They're 70 and 62. They are two games up on the Philadelphia Phillies. But the Phillies, who've been led by a red hot Bryce Harper, who's putting up MVP numbers, the Phillies are only two games back of Atlanta in the division, and they're also only two and a half games back of the wild cards. So that is a sleeper playoff team to watch that is getting carried by one of the best hitters in the game. Uh, the Phillies have also won five in a row, and the Braves have lost three in a row. So that's a little race to watch right now there as the Phillies have a weekend series in Washington, and Atlanta has a weekend series in Colorado. You look at the Mets. The Mets have gotten themselves into the news recently, so we'll we'll break it down. So as you guys know, Francisco Lindor has not produced very well in his first season as a New York Met, getting paid $341 million for over 10 years. Neither has deadline acquisition Javier Baez from the Cubs. They've both been getting booed. They've both been striking out a lot. They've both been making mistakes at the plate. They're both not having great years offensively. We've seen them be superstars. They are not superstars right now. So they've been getting booed. But then the Mets, they've won three in a row, the Mets. They've started playing better baseball. And whenever they do something good, they start putting the thumbs down. Like thumb, thumbs down. And after one of the games, Javier Baez said, well, the fans boo us when we don't have success, so we're going to boo them when we do have success. So Lindor, Baez, some of those, some other guys in the Mets have been booing their own fans. What? What is that? What is that about? If you aren't performing on the field, the fans are absolutely allowed to boo you. They're paying money to see you. You're making $341 million a year. You're supposed to be the best shortstop in all of baseball. And you're hitting a buck fifty. You're hitting two thirty. What you're gonna get booed. It's New York City. You'd get booed in Cleveland too, but you didn't because you produced in Cleveland. In New York, there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot more eyes on you. And there's a lot more expectations. You're going to get booed. You can't boo the fans back. That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. But since the Mets have started doing the thumbs down, they've won three in a row. They're five games back of Atlanta. They're five and a half games back of the wild card. They're 65 and 67. So, hey, we'll, they're, they're facing Miami this weekend. Miami's the last place team. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if they can keep on winning here. In the National League Central, it's two teams. Well, I guess St. Louis is kind of in the race, but Milwaukee is in first place. I've said it all season long. I'll say it again. I get the pleasure of watching these guys play next weekend. I'm going to the Guardians-Brewers game on Sunday, September 12th, which is the day of the first Browns game. So we'll get a double dose of sports. I'll get to watch the Browns and go to the Guardians game. But anyway, the Brewers, they're 82-52. and 52. They're, one of the, they're the best team in baseball that no one talks about. They're better on the road than they are at home. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. They're on a four-game winning streak. Their rotation is lights out. Their bullpen is lights out. Their lineup, Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich, they've got some great hitters. 
And this is one of the biggest surprises in all of baseball right now. The Reds are in second place. I like the Reds. They're ten and a half games back of the Brewers, but they are the second team in the wild card behind San Francisco. They're the second team in the wild card. They're ahead of the San Diego Padres, a team that at the beginning of the season I picked to win the World Series. The Reds are led by the hot hitting of Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Joey Votto. They get they've gotten some bounce pack performances from their starting rotation with the likes of Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo. They've been a fun bunch to watch, and I wouldn't I honestly wouldn't mind seeing the Cincinnati team in the playoffs. And the other team from the Central that's trying desperately to get back into the playoff race is a team that I picked to win this division, the St. Louis Cardinals. How they are not in the playoffs when they have Nolan Arenado and that team was good last year, I don't know. They're two and a half games back of Cincinnati for that second wildcard spot. In the National League West, we have a new leader for the first time since early in the season. The Dodgers now lead the National League West. They're 85-49. and 49. They have a half-game lead. On the San Francisco Giants, who have lost four in a row, the Dodgers have won three in a row. So the Dodgers and the Giants are well above the third-place team, the San Diego Padres, who are a half game back of Cincinnati in for the second wildcard spot. So that's what's going on around baseball. Let's switch gears to the National Football League. So last week of preseason, um, there are some roster cuts around the NFL, we'll talk about the big ones. So let's start with the New England Patriots. It's probably the biggest story in football this week. The Mac Jones era will begin in New England, perhaps sooner than Bill Belichick might have anticipated when picking him 15th. Jones outplayed Cam Newton in the preseason, so the Patriots released veteran Cam Newton. That clears a path for Jones to grow into the role of a starting quarterback on a playoff contending team without the former NFL MVP looming over his shoulder. So that's a big move for the Patriots. Do I agree with it? I think the Patriots made a right move. I think if they think Mac Jones is going to give this team a better chance to win, it's also going to help your football team better for the future by putting in the new guy without him having the pressure of a former MVP, like I said, Cam Newton, looking over his shoulder. It's a win-win. I'm, it'll be interesting to see Belichick with a rookie quarterback. We know Belichick has never lost to a rookie quarterback in, in his coaching career, but he's also never he's also never coached one So and started one. So we'll see how that goes. Let's go to the Cleveland Browns because um, you guys are Browns fans. I'm a big Browns fan. This is a Browns podcast. The biggest surprise probably for the Browns was Kadero Hodge not making the roster. He had a couple touchdowns in the preseason last season. All of his catches came for first downs. He he had some big catches, even though he didn't have that many. He had like 12 catches last year, but all of them were first downs. They also got rid of special teams guy Jojo Natson. But the, I'm glad they elected to go with four running backs, including Dernis Johnson, who we saw last year when Nick Chubb and Kareem, Nick Chubb went down in that Dallas game. Uh, they gave they split the carries between Kareem Hunt and Dernis Johnson, and Dernis Johnson was getting some big yards, and he was running over guys. And I think Dernis Johnson could start for some teams in the National Football League right now. And also, this guy is probably the if you want a player to watch on the Browns this season that's a sleeper like breakout player for the Browns it's rookie running back Demetric Felton who was announced as the team's kick returner he had some excellent runs in the preseason and people are saying he's the biggest steal of the draft so that's very interesting the Browns also got uh cut some guys that were on the team last year like Porter Gustin who had that interception in the Pittsburgh playoff game like Sheldon Day like fullback Johnny Stanton like safety Sheldrick Redwine so so those are so 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 those are some of the big moves that the Browns made. Other than that, I'm trying to think of some of the big headlines. Okay, this is a this is an odd story. One of the oddest stories in the NFL right now. The Houston Texans. The biggest move they made in their death chart was keeping quarterback Deshaun Deshaun Watson on the roster. It's not a roster cut. By by keeping the quarterback on its roster, they're using a 53-man roster spot on a player they don't expect to play for them this season. He's facing 22 lawsuits alleging sexual assault and inappropriate behavior, and he is now listed as 
an undefined position on the depth chart. Tyrod Taylor is listed as the starter, and rookie Davis Mills is li- is listed as the backup. So that's pretty interesting there as well. But other than that, in the NFL, no big news. Uh, all the rookie quarterbacks are starting except for Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I don't know why the Chicago Bears are so committed to starting Andy Dalton, but I don't think I'm going to change their mind. But I think it's a bonehead move. I think you should go with Justin Fields. Let him get some game experience so he can have a full year to develop. He showed great flashes in the preseason, but we will wait and see. Let's transition from the NFL really quickly to one of the oddest stories I've ever heard in sports. And I'm sure you guys have heard it, but if you haven't, I'll go ahead and explain it to you. So this past weekend, ESPN had a high school football game on their network between IMG Academy, one of the top high school football teams in the nation. Their quarterback's committed to Florida State. They have a bunch of other guys committed to big, big, big Division I schools. And this school that was supposedly based in Columbus called Bishop Sycamore. The thing is, though, this Bishop Sycamore school straight up does not exist. It's an online charter school. It's not affiliated with the Ohio High School Athletic Association. So it's it got blown out. It was 0-6 last year in their first year. They got blown out by several Ohio teams like St. Ignatius. This year, they got blown out by uh, Hoban in their first game. And they go play this IMG Academy on ESPN with guys who have allegedly already graduated from junior college. They had 26-year-olds suiting up for them as a high school. And they get absolutely blown out 58 to nothing. But somehow, someway, ESPN decided to put this fake high school football team, Bishop Sycamore, on their network and get exposure. And it was an absolute train wreck. Apparently their coach has an active arrest warrant out, Bishop Sycamore. They have 25-year-olds playing on their roster. Apparently they didn't even pay for the hotel when they played IMG Academy. It's it's one of the most bizarre stories in sports. But I just wanted to touch on it. You guys can go read the whole story. Just look up Bishop Sycamore. It's basically a non-real school, a non-real high school football team got to play in a game on ESPN, even though they're not a real school. I don't know how they got on the network, but they did. And before we go to break and talk about our college football playoff preview, we got to talk about this some Cavaliers news and some NBA news. So the Cleveland Cavaliers last week acquired forward Lori Markkinen in a sign-and-trade agreement from Chicago. In the three-team deal, the Cavs traded fan favorite Larry Nance Jr. to Portland and a protected 2023 second-round pick to Chicago. The Bulls also received forward Derrick Jones Jr. from Portland and the Trailblazers lottery-protected 2022 first-round pick as a part of the trade. Cavs GM Kobe Altman said, We are extremely fortunate as an organization to be in a position to acquire another young and talented player with the skill set of Laurie Markkinen. He has a proven ability to play multiple positions and stretch the floor from the perimeter. And at 24 years old, we believe his best basketball is in front of him. And I like Laurie Markkinen. He averaged uh, 13.6 points per game and 5.3 rebounds last season. He also, in his his career averages 15.6 points 7.1 rebounds shooting 44 percent from the field he is seven feet tall he played in 51 games last year he shoots well from the three-point line 40 percent he goes shoots 83 percent from the foul line but he's a good shooter and the Cavs need some good shooters and he's a good shooting big man but the Cavs also yesterday signed taco fall to a one-year deal and it seems like kobe altman's strategy this offseason by re-signing jared allen by drafting Evan Mobley, by signing and trading for Laurie Markkinen, by signing Taco Fall, is, hear me out, why don't we just put out a lineup of all seven footers? They won't be able to score on that. And honestly, watching the Cavaliers the last couple of seasons, it's not that bad a strategy. We always used to make the joke when the Browns were really bad, the Browns should draft a quarterback every round. One of them has to work out. Maybe that's what the Cavs are doing with these big guys. I mean, Jared Allen is going to start at your center. You could put Evan Mobley at the power forward, Laurie Markin at small forward. Maybe put Kevin Love at the point guard and Taco Fall at the shooting guard. Then you would have a lineup of all players 6'10 or taller. Who's going to score on that? We're going to have all the rim protectors in the league. 
I think Laurie Marketing was a good trade. Now, I, I'm, I'm kind of sad the Cavs got rid of Larry Nance Jr. Um, he was obviously did a lot for the city of Cleveland, did a lot for our local businesses this season. Um, he was a part of that 2018 team that made it to the finals. He had some great highlights here in Cleveland. But Laurie Marketing addresses some needs for the Cavs. We needed three-point shooting. We absolutely needed three-point shooting. He connected on 119 three-pointers, the fourth his fourth con- consecutive season with over 100 triples last season. He shot a perfect 7 of 7 from beyond the arc on March 11, 2021. The dude can shoot. He's a big man. He's a good offensive weapon. And honestly, I, it's a good pickup for the Cavs because Laurie Markkinen, he's a good player. He's absolutely a good player. And I like the pickup. Um, Taco Fall is going to be a good backup center, maybe even a third string center, but when he gets minutes, he'll be exciting. He'll put some butts in the seats. He'll sell them to sell some tickets. So that's good in itself for the Cavs. But I just wanted to touch on that and just talk about the Cavs seemingly interesting offseason strategy of acquiring all the seven footers they can and throwing out a lineup of just seven footers. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a full college football preview. We give our Heisman winner, our college football playoff picks, We pick every game in week one, and we also hear from Kent State head coach Sean Lewis previewing Kent State's week one matchup against Texas A&M. Don't turn that dial. We will be right back. And welcome back to season three, episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We're going to get to our college football preview and our week one preview, including of Kent State and Texas A&M's game. But before before we do that, I have a special treat for you guys. I got to sit down and interview Kent State head coach Sean Lewis before this week's game against Texas A&M, and we're going to hear that full interview right now. So without further ado, here he is, Kent State head coach Sean Lewis. Coach, uh, what are some of the things you think will be important to get right in practice this week as you prepare for Saturday? (laughs) Everything. We've got a really, really talented team that we get to go up against, you know, but Jack, for us, it's... It's maximizing what we're capable of. Obviously, very, very early on here in the season, and we got got some very good back and forth through camp. Um, you know, but I say that kind of tongue in cheek, laughing a little bit. But you know, you, you come out week one, we got all these new pieces, we got all these new faces in different spots. Even though we are a veteran group, but getting this group of young men um, to play together, you know, and, and until the lights come on against a very, very good opponent, as much as we can, you know. Practice repetition is game reality and, and apply the proper kind of heat and pressure, if you will, while we're at practice to build that chemistry of a team. Until you get in the arena, until you get in that environment, you know, I haven't been in an arena with this group of guys, with this staff, when there's 105,000 people going against the sixth-ranked team in the country. So right now for us, it's about maximizing what we are capable of, our techniques, our fundamentals, understanding the calls, understanding, you know, the – the different attention to detail that we need to have in all three phases because there's hints, there's clues that are out there, there's tendencies. And then it's it's having urgency to prepare, having some competitive maturity about us that know what's coming, know that where we're at in this journey, that we're five days away, right? And so it's really all of that. It's the process that these guys need to take. And so I say everything because everything matters, especially when you're going against a really talented crew um, like Coach Fisher and his staff have assembled I mean, shoot, they've had three top ten recruiting classes the past three years. They're, they're super uber talented, and, um, you know, we got to be on our P's and Q's, and we got to have great attention to detail and a great sense of urgency in our prep, Pete, at a high level down there. How different is the game prep for this week one game when you maybe don't know the type of wrinkles you're going to see, and then both from you guys? So, like, is it more focusing on in-game adjustments, or how is the prep different in week one as opposed to other week? Well, so I think that preparation, you know, started way back in at the start of camp and obviously the spring ball because, like you said, these week ones, you always kind of get to this point in the week where we've had chasing ghosts, right? Simplify our plan, simplify our prep because we know early on in these contests there's going to be different things that we haven't seen, you know, things that are going to present themselves. And as the uh, as the pieces start moving on the chessboard, you got to be able to have your counter moves and things that you can pull too. So you got to have the ability to have, again, that great foundational understanding of your base concept. So if something pops up, you can get to that and you can make the necessary in-game adjustments, um, you know, but 
I believe in keeping it simple. I think simplifying things wins and allows your guys to think fast, know fast, do fast, and, and go play fast without over-processing things. Um, you know, we're going we're to take that approach and, and, and go give a good shot. Just how excited are you and your players to get back out there playing in front of fans? You guys didn't do it last year. How exciting is it to get that college football atmosphere back this season? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a blast. You know, it was, we were very grateful and thankful for the opportunity to play last year. But, you know, I spoke at a little welcome back event here not too long ago with, with campus opening up. You know, and it's just – I mentioned it then. I'll mention it now. Like, you know, there, there was something missing about it. It's, it. You know, Kent State University, having the stand – having the having Dick Stadium packed with fans and, and having the Northeast Ohio community there with us, providing energy, providing spark, giving our kids some juice – you know, that's what makes college football in particular, you know, very, very fun and very unique. Um, so, you know, it's kind of cool. We're going to have 105,000 people down there. I think they're last time I checked or something, it's like one of the top five biggest venues in all of college football. So we started piping in the uh, the band noise and the, the Aggie yell cheers and all that good stuff, all their fine traditions that they have down there. Um, you know, once we started this preparation and, there's something about a good college band and some good college cheers that, that get you going and let you know that, you know, this is real and uh, excited for the opportunity. And that was Kent State head coach Sean Lewis. Got to sit down with him in his weekly press conference with my other media venture, TV2, but I also got permission to use that audio in this podcast. So that's a special treat for you guys. I'll try to do that throughout the college football season kind of get an inside look at how Kent State does their does their thing in a year in which they have pretty high expectations. They're expected to win the MAC East. And, of course, I'm going to be following them closely, covering some of their games, covering most of their games. So that will be very exciting to see throughout the season. So let's get to our week one college football preview. Uh, should we do the season? We'll do the season preview before. Um, so let's – here's how it's going to work. We're going to do our season preview I'm going to talk about who I like for the Heisman, who I like in each conference, who I like to make the college football playoff, and then we'll pick every week one game and do our week one preview. So let's start with the Heisman. Um, The Heisman's a little bit more wide open this season without returning favorites Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields of the past. I know neither of them won the Heisman, but Devontae Smith did. But Anyway, there are some new faces like a Sam Howell, like Spencer Rattler, like DJ Uyunglele, like Brees Hall from Iowa State. Those are probably the big four guys that continu- continuously get mentioned. But if, if I'm going to have to pick who I think is going to win the Heisman, I'm going to pick Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, the quarterback from Oklahoma. Nine of the past 12 Heisman winners have led their team to either a national championship a national championship game appearance, or a college football playoff appearance the year they won the Heisman. In other words, a player putting up great numbers and playing on a team that wins eight or nine games is not going to win the Heisman. Not anymore. That's why I'm going with Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler. He's a tremendous talent. He's got tremendous talent in a program that's been a college football playoff fixture. Uh, look for Rattler to put up even better numbers in his second season as a starter. He'd be the third Oklahoma quarterback in the past five years to win the Heisman. And I like him. I like the talent he has. But part of the reason is because Oklahoma's schedule is as soft as Charmin toilet paper. He Rattler, had uh, their, their Big 12 schedule is very soft. They should breeze through the Big 12. I expect him to carry over his his success from last season, lead Oklahoma to about 10 or 11 wins, maybe the college football playoff. And I expect the Oklahoma quarterback to be the third Oklahoma quarterback joining Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray to win the Heisman in the last five years. That's who I think is going to win the Heisman. He's probably the odds-on favorite right now. And I know you guys are like, well, Jack, why are you going with the odds-on favorite? Because the schedule is very soft. I feel like for DJ Uyangalele, for uh, other guys like Brees Hall, they need to make the college football playoff. I don't know how likely that is for an Iowa State. Clemson probably will make the college probably will make the college football playoff, but they got a big week one text against Georgia. We're going to talk about here soon. So there's a lot more questions with the other Heisman candidates than there is, in my opinion, with Spencer Rattler. That's why I'm going with Oklahoma to ha- produce their third Heisman winner in the last five years. 
Let's get to our conference champion predictions. So let's start with the American Athletic Conference. We'll kind of go alphabetically. So in the AAC, there's no other choice than Luke Fickle and his Cincinnati Bearcats. They're once again the best group of five team. They've won 31 games over the last three seasons and almost beat Georgia in the Peach Bowl last season. They have a chance to make some noise in the college football playoff picture as well with a big, big test on the road against Notre Dame, but that could be a signature win for them. Quarterback Desmond Riddler is returning. He has 6,905 career passing yards, 57 touchdowns, and 20 interceptions, not to mention over 1,800 rushing yards and 22 touchdowns in three seasons. He's running an offense that averaged 37.5 points in 2020. But the key for Cincinnati is going to be the defense. They returned seven squatters from seven starters, excuse me, from a squad that allowed 16.8 points per game last season. But Cincinnati, their goal is to win the American Athletic Conference, but they will win that, in my opinion, with no problem. Their big, big test is going to be trying to be the first group of five team ever to make the college football playoff. The ACC Coastal Conference, so that's the ACC side without Clemson. We're going to go with North Carolina. The Tar Heels lost a bunch on offense from last season, but they do have a returning quarterback, Sam Howell, who has thrown for 7,227 passing yards, 68 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions in two years as the Tar Heels starter, and he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. They also have some return 11 10 out of 11 starters on defense. Their opening game at Virginia Tech is an early indicator of what to expect from North Carolina. But in the, in the ACC Atlantic, it's going to be Clemson. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, even though they lost Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne to the NFL, they're going to score points. Do, DJ Uyangalele last year filled in for Trevor Lawrence when Trevor Lawrence had COVID. He had 914 yards, five touchdowns in 2020. They still have season receiver Justin Ross. They have some guys on defense like Miles Murphy, Brian Breesey, Balin Specter, and star cornerback Nolan Turner. So they're going to be a good team. I would pick Clemson in the ACC Atlantic, and I would think Clemson would win the conference championship. In the Big 12, I'll go with Oklahoma. Um, it's either Oklahoma or Iowa State, and I like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma better than Iowa State this season because of the Heisman Trophy winner, potentially Spencer Rattler. After three straight appearances in the playoff, Oklahoma missed out after starting 1-2 and two last season. However, the Sooners soon found form. Spencer Rattler had 3,000 passing yards and 28 TDs in 2020. They also have returned talented linemen Perry and Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas, and they also bring back linebacker Nick Bonito. And Oklahoma gets fellow Big 12 frontrunner Iowa State at home on November 20th. The reason the 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 fact that it's at home also gives Oklahoma a slight edge over Iowa State in the Big 12. In the Big 10 West, I'm gonna go with Wisconsin. Uh, it's always it seems to always be Wisconsin. I know Northwestern won it a couple years ago. I've been waiting for Iowa to win it. Iowa might win it this season. They're a contender too. But um, if the Badgers can get a full season from quarterback Graham Mertz and receivers Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, the Badgers will win this division and challenge for the Big Ten Championship. They return eight starters from the defense that only averaged 17 points per game last season. And they get Penn State, Michigan, Iowa, and Northwestern in Camp Randall at home. Give me Wisconsin, the Big Ten West. In the Big Ten East, it's there's one team that stands above them all. It's Ohio State. Like Alabama, Ohio State doesn't rebuild. They reload on an annual basis. However, the Buckeyes still have the overall talent that stands out among the rest of the league. They will be inexperienced at quarterback. It's going to be C.J. Stroud starting the season. But they do have the returning receivers like Chris Olave, who is probably one of the best receivers in all of college football, and Garrett Wilson. Last year, they combined for 93 receptions and 13 touchdowns. They also have, they also have another receiver named Jackson Smith, who is, uh, I think his name's Jackson Smith Najiba or something like that. He's very, very good as well, and he has the potential to be a breakout player now that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are probably going to get double teamed a lot. 
On the defense for the Buckeyes, defensive end Zach Harrison and defensive back Seven Banks are two All-Big Ten defenders returning. And I think the Buckeyes will win the Big Ten East and the Big Ten Championship overall. Conference USA, in the East, I'll take Western Kentucky. Uh, Western Kentucky, they returned 10 starters from its last season when the team made a bowl appearance. Uh, they also have a favorable league schedule. Uh, and they're, they have a quarterback, Houston Baptist transfer, Bailey Zapp, who th- who's thrown for 10,000 passing yards in his career, 78 touchdowns, and 39 interceptions. And he might be the best quarterback in the conference. And then in the Conference USA West, we'll take UAB. They're the reigning CUSA champs. Um, it might be due to their defense that only averaged 15 points last season per game, uh, gave up an average of 15 points per game last season. Linebacker Christopher Mole and Noah Weidler combined for 109 tackles, and I'll take UAB to beat Western Kentucky in the Conference USA Championship. Let's go to some action, the Mid-American Conference. This is the conference Kent State is in. I will be paying a very close putting a ver, paying very close attention to this conference throughout the season. In the MAC, I actually got to fill out a MAC preseason media poll, so I do know what I'm talking about. Uh, in the MAC West, I think it's going to be Toledo or Ball State. Uh, my fellow media colleagues in the Mid-American Conference picked Ball State, but I'm going to go with Toledo. Toledo has plenty of talent back from last season's 4-2 and two team that scored 210 points across six games. Running back Bryant Kobach, who had 522 rushing yards last season, is going to be in a, for a breakout year. They also have receiver Isaiah Winstead, who had a great year last season as well. So I'm going to take Toledo to win the MAC West. In the MAC East, don't call me biased. I'm going to take the Kent State Golden Flashes. Um... You just heard from Coach Lewis. Coach Lewis just signed a contract extension through 2025. They got all Mac, first team all Mac quarterback Dustin Crum returning for his senior year. They got great talent in at receiver with the likes of Jason Jay Sean Polk and Xavier Williams. They got a good running back, Marquez Cooper. They got some great guys on defense returning in Keith Sherrod, Zane West, Dean Clark. They've got a ton of graduate players and a ton of great transfer players. That one of their receivers, their punt returner, his name's slipping my mind right now, but he he's a transfer from Syracuse and he led the ACC last season in kick return touchdowns. This Kent State team was the top scoring offense in all of college football last season, averaging over forty eight points per game. I expect them to do well this season and to win the MAC East. Now, I you can call me biased for saying that. But it, I picked this way in the MAC media poll as well. And in the MAC championship, I'll take Toledo over Kent State. But I think Kent State still gets to a pretty good bowl game. In the Mountain West Conference, I think it's going to be San Diego State versus Boise State in the championship game. And I like Boise State. Um, the Broncos need to see improvement on co- the quarterback position. But they do have a team that... Boise State is just this is the Mac West, uh, the Mountain West favorite every season. Every season, First-year coach Andy Avalis takes over a team that lost to San Jose State in the conference championship game but allowed 30 or more points in four of the seven games played. They need improvement from their quarterback, Hack Bachmeyer, but they get t- key division foes, Wyoming and Air Force at home. So that's the reason why I like Boise State in that division. In the Pac-12, it's going to be Oregon in the north. Oregon, the reigning Pac-12 championship, Ducks, returned 16 starters with a little more punch than fellow Washington, than the fellow Pac-12 North uh, popular pick Washington. Boston College transfer Anthony Brown will start the season under center. C.J. Verdell rushed for 21 touchdowns across three seasons. And Johnny Johnson the third has 14 career touchdown catches. Meanwhile, their defensive lineman, Kayvon Thibodeau, is a top-five draft pick and anchors a defense that must be better than last season. So I'll go with Oregon in the Pac-12 North. In the Pac-12 South, I'm a believer in the Trojans this season. Utah is the dark horse South favorite, but entering the season, USC is the best team in the division, mainly because of their quarterback, who is a very, very talented, very great quarterback, named Kedon Slovis, 
5,423 passing yards and 47 touchdowns across two seasons. And receiver Drake London, who had 72 receptions and 1,069 receiving yards in two seasons. They might be the two best offensive players in the Pac-12. The Trojans allowed at least 30 points three times over six games last season, but eight starters will return with experience and more time to prepare. So I'll take USC to win the Pac-12 over Oregon. In the SEC East, I'll take Georgia. Um... Reigning SEC East champion Florida will be in the mix, but it would be a shock if the Bulldogs don't run the table on the east side of the SEC. They have their quarterback in JT Daniels, the transfer from USC, who had 1,231 passing yards and 10 touchdowns last season. Running back Zamir White had 779 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns last season. The Bulldogs allowed 85 points in their only 2020 losses to Alabama and Florida and 115 points to the other eight opponents. I like Georgia in the SEC East. And then the SEC West, that's Alabama and everybody else. And I think Alabama, for those keeping score at home, the Crimson Tide have won six national titles over the last 12 seasons. They're a favorite to repeat as the champions once again. And they got a five-star quarterback at the helm named Bryce Young. He's going to re- He's going to lead an offense which is set to reload after averaging 48.5 points in 2020. Their defense is led by talented linebackers Will Anderson and Christian Harris and defensive backs Josh Job. Road games versus Texas A&M, Florida, and Auburn could make things more interesting for Alabama, but I'll take Alabama to win the SEC West and to beat Georgia in the SEC title game. And the last conference we got to preview is the Sun Belt. And I like Coastal Carolina on the east side of the Sun Belt. Uh, they're looking to build on last season's historic 10-1 season behind quarterback Grayson McCall. The Chanticleers won at Kansas and beat ranked teams in Louisiana and BYU last season. They also took down Sun Belt power Appalachian State. The season could come down to that October 20th meeting at App State. And the Sun Belt West, I like Louisiana, the Ragin' Cajuns. They won 21 games over the past two seasons. Quarterback Levi Lewis is electric, 6,286 passing yards, 54 touchdowns, and nine rushing touchdowns in four seasons. The Ragin' Cajuns open at Texas, and I think they could beat Texas in week one. We'll talk about that after this. But I like uh, Louisiana over Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt, Sun Belt West. And the best independent team will be Notre Dame. Uh, Ian Book is gone, one of nine Notre Dame's players drafted off the 2020 team. But they do have a talented transfer in ex-Wisconsin single call, signal caller Jack Cohn. But they also have one of the best running backs in the country in Kyren Williams, 1,125 rushing yards, 13 touchdowns last season. And safety Kyle Hamilton, who had a team-leading 63 tackles in 2020. Home games against Cincinnati, USC, and North Carolina – Make it possible for the Irish to seriously contend for a second straight college football playoff berth. And with that being said, who do I like in the college football playoff this season? All right, we'll give you my four teams and I'll give you who I think is going to win the championship. My first team in the college football playoff is the Alabama Crimson Tide. I picked them to be the SEC champions. I expect them to only lose one game or go undefeated. And if you're an SEC champion with one loss, you're going to make the playoff. And especially if you're an SEC champion undefeated, you'll make the playoff. Nick Saban will get this team back to the playoff. Bryce Young is the real deal at quarterback. That defense is great. The offense rebuilt, reload. I like Alabama in the college football playoff. My second team will be, uh, I'll go with Ohio State. Uh, I like the Buckeyes this year. I would like them a lot more if they had a returning quarterback. Still got to see some stuff out of C.J. Stroud, but the talent at receiver, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the talent on the defensive end of the ball, Zach Harrison, Seven Banks, they got some great, great talent. And like I said, they have a top five recruiting class year in and year out. Ryan Day doesn't rebuild, he reloads. So I'll take the Buckeyes as my second team. The third team I like in the college football playoff, I'll take Clemson. I think the ACC is soft. Again, this season outside of North Carolina. I think Clemson will roll through the ACC. I think DJ Uyangalo. DJ Uyangalalele. It's a tough, tough, tough name there. I think DJ Uyangalalele will get this team into the playoff. And I think uh, Dabo Sweeney will coach up this offensive defense to get them as the third seed in the playoff. And my fourth team in the playoff will be. I'm between three teams right here, and I'll tell you who the three teams are. Just so you, four teams. 
I'll give you the four teams just so you can get an idea where my head's at. Georgia, if Georgia beats Clemson week one, I'll take Georgia as my fourth team. Texas A&M, if te- now here's if Texas A&M, uh, uh, Texas A&M, if Texas A&M beats Alabama and that's Alabama's one loss, Texas A&M will get into the playoff. Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler, the Heisman Trophy favorite, and then Notre Dame is the f- other fourth team. If I had to pick right now, start of the season, who I'm most confident in making the playoff, I would pick the Oklahoma Sooners. Like I said, Lincoln Riley's a good coach. Their their schedule is as soft as Charmin toilet paper, and they have the Heisman Trophy favorite. So I'll go Oklahoma with four, but a lot could change based off what happens this season. And I could see any one of those teams, Georgia, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, even Cincinnati. I could see Cincinnati. If Cincinnati runs the table, they will be in conversation for that four seed. But right now, I'll go Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma as my final four for the college football playoff. All right, let's get to our week one games. Week one pick them. The week one season starts tonight. The first game at 630 is Temple versus Rutgers. I like Rutgers. Rutgers is favored by 14.5 points in this game. I think Greg Greg Schiano is the coach, and I think Greg Schiano will lead a slow turnaround for this Rutgers team, but they will beat teams they're supposed to beat, and Temple, I believe, is one of those. Let's see some other games. There's some matching games between Ball State and Western Illinois. I'll take Ball State in that one. The Mac West favorites will run in that one. And Buffalo opens their season tonight at home at 7 against Wagner. I'll take the Buffalo Bulls in that matchup as well. A little bit of a big matchup between perennial perennial. Uh, Group of five powerhouses, UCF and Boise State. UCF, obviously trying to build on their success they've had all these years. Boise State, I just picked them to win their conference. It's in UCF. I like Boise State in this one to get the upset on the road. I think just Boise State, they're they're favored to lose by uh, – UCF is favored to win by five points. I like Boise State in this matchup. NC State at home versus South Florida. I like NC State in this game. South Florida is not very good. They do have a talented quarterback, but besides that, I don't see much from them. Another big game tonight, Ohio State at Minnesota. Minnesota is 14-point underdogs at home. I actually listened to some of PJ Flex press conference the other day. Don't ask me why, but I did <laughs> I did listen to some of PJ Flex press, press conference the other day from Minnesota, and he has completely changed the culture there. I like him as a coach. I'm still going to pick the Buckeyes to win this game, but I think Minnesota keeps it within a score. Bowling Green at Tennessee. This is for my sister Maureen. I got to go with Tennessee at home. Uh, I'm sorry, Bowling Green didn't win a game last season. They were pretty bad last season. I did watch them play against Kent State. They gave up 50 or 60 points to Kent State, but... Bowling Green is going to be better than people think this season. They do have a transfer quarterback from a Power 5 school. It's their second or third year under their coach. They do have a talented running back. They do have a talented tight end. They have some good players on that defense. I got to hear from their coach on Mac Media Day. But I'll, I'll take Tennessee in this game. But the spread of this game, Tennessee is favored by 37.5 points. Give me Bowling Green against the spread. I think Bowling Green keeps it within maybe 30 points. I don't think they're going to get blown out by 40. I think Bowling Green will put up some points. Big ACC matchup tomorrow at 6 p.m. North Carolina at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's going to be going crazy. The Enter Sandman, it's a night game. It's going to be a great atmosphere. I still like North Carolina because of quarterback Sam Howell, their Heisman Trophy candidate. Duke at Charlotte. I know this is a weird game. You're like, Jack, why are you picking this game? Oh, I think it's going to be a close game. Duke's favored by six points uh, on the road against Charlotte. Duke beat up Charlotte last season, 53-19 in their opener. But I, I like Charlotte in this game at home. Michigan State Northwestern tomorrow at 9 p.m. Uh, I love Pat Fitzgerald, and I love Northwestern in this game. Michigan State, they've got some good players, including a guy I went to high school with by the name of J.D. Duplain. Um, But I like Northwestern in this game. I love Coach Pat Fitzgerald. I think he's one of the top 10 coaches in all of college football. How that Northwestern team, they don't have great recruiting classes every year, but every year they're near the top of the Big Ten West. Michigan State should win this game, but I like Northwestern in this game because of their coach, because of that culture Pat Fitzgerald has built over there. Stanford at Kansas State Saturday at 12 
I like Kansas State at home. Stanford's over-under win total for this season is only four. That's the lowest it's been under David Shaw. They don't have any breakout players like they've had in the past, like Toby Gerhardt, like Christian McCaffrey, like even Kevin Hogan. I like Kansas State. It's a tough place to play. I'll take Kansas State. Penn State at Wisconsin, Saturday, September 4th. Great, great week one matchup. I like Wisconsin at home, but I like Penn State to keep it close. Maybe a field goal separates these two teams. Tulane and Oklahoma. Give me Oklahoma and the points. It's a 40, it's a 35-point spread. I like Oklahoma and the points. Western Michigan at Michigan. Michigan only favored by 17 over their MAC opponent at home. And this is gonna be my I can't pick I can't pick Western Michigan. I'll take Michigan. Um, but I think Western Michigan keeps it within 10. People think Michigan's going to be good this year. I'm not sold. I need to see them on the field before I make that judgment. So I'll go Michigan, but it's a closer than people would like it to be. Fresno State at Oregon. I like Oregon in that one. I think Fresno State keeps it close. Miami, Ohio at Cincinnati. Give me the Bearcats, college football playoff contender. Indiana at Iowa. Iowa's at home. They're favorite. Indiana is favored by three points on the road. I like Iowa at home, but it's going to be a game that comes down to the wire. West Virginia at Maryland. Give me West Virginia on the road. Alabama and Miami, Florida. I'll take Alabama. That's a ranked matchup, one versus 14. Louisiana versus Texas. Big matchup here. I like Louisiana on the road to beat Texas. I'm not sold on their quarterback. Louisiana beat Texas last season. I like them to beat them this season too. San Jose, San Jose State at USC. Give me the Trojans. Texas Tech at Houston. I'll take the I'll take the Cougars. I'll take Houston at home. Oregon State at Purdue. Give me Purdue at home. Syracuse at Ohio. I'll take Ohio. I'll take the Bobcats. A match and win on opening weekend. I like that matchup for Ohio at home against Syracuse. I do. A team in the MAC I don't like this weekend is Auburn versus Akron. I think Auburn wins by at least 45 points. Let's see. Georgia Clemson. The big game in week one. Number three versus number five. This is a, is a coin flip. This is where college game day is going to be. My head says Clemson, but my gut says Georgia. So I'm going to go with Georgia. I think if Clemson wins week, if they Clemson loses this game, they can still make the playoff. If Georgia win, doesn't win this game, if Georgia loses this game, they can't make the playoff. So that is why I think this game means more to the kids at Georgia and that's why I think Georgia's going to win this game. Their defense will go do well against this Clemson offense. You should hammer the under in this game. But I like Georgia in this game. Kent State, Texas A&M. I really want to pick Kent State because I go to Kent State. I'm a huge Kent State. I'm a Kent State reporter. I obviously root for my school, but I can't pick against Texas A&M at home. At College Station with the 105,000 people in the stands like Coach Lewis is mentioning. But I will say this, it'll be a very close game in the first and second quarter. Expect it to be like a 27-20 game, a 27-17 game, a 34-21 game. It's going to be a little too close for the Texas A&M folks to like. But when it hits third and fourth quarter, I expect Texas A&M's talent to win out. With that being said, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Kent State pulls the upset of the century against Texas A&M. I'm rooting for it. But I, my head has to pick Texas A&M in this one. So, and the last big matchup of week one. Oh, there are actually a couple more. LSU versus UCLA. I'll take LSU on the road in that one, even though UCLA is favored. I think Chip Kelly coached very well last weekend against Hawaii, but it was against Hawaii. It wasn't against LSU. Nevada versus California. Give me California. BYU at Arizona. I like Arizona. Notre Dame at Florida State Sunday, September 5th. I'll take Notre Dame on the road. And Louisville versus Mississippi. I will take Lane Kiffin and Mississippi at home. Their offense is great. Their defense won't be able to stop anybody. But, hey, they're playing Louisville. So will it really matter? 
<laughs> but those are my college football week one picks. I am so, so excited for the season to get started. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Go follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod for episode recaps, episode previews, audiograms, and much, much more. Follow me on Twitter at TV to follow along with my other reporting at TV2 and at Kent State. And also be sure to get that vaccine when you are eligible. You guys all should be eligible unless you are under, I believe, 12 years old. But get the vaccine. The sooner you get the vaccines, the sooner we can get out of this pandemic. I know they required it at Kent State by December 20th. So it's it's something that uh, I think you should do if you can. But if you can, it's your choice. But I think you should try to. So th- that's all I'm going to say. But uh, anyway, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Do something nice for somebody this weekend. Uh, go do something nice for your parents if you're if your parents are if your parents are uh, if you're with your parents this weekend. Do something nice for them. If you're not, how about do a random act of kindness or something? You know, just this world needs to be a kinder place, you know? If you do, if everyone does something nice for somebody else every day, imagine how great the world would be. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy the great weekend at sports. Next week, we'll be back with another episode, week one NFL preview. We might even have another interview for that week one NFL preview episode. You won't want to miss it. But until then, I've been Jack Bernie, signing off.